Amen. Amen. All right. We got plenty of time to fellowship after, all right? So calm down. <laughs> We're going to go to Luke chapter 17, verse 26. As we start this brand new series, if you're our first time guest with us, every October, for the month of October, we do a series on hell, we do a series on the demonic, the occult, we do a series on everything that I sadly believe churches are going away from to just please people's ears. And this is, oh, are you a hell on fire brim preacher? I'm like, yes, I am, because hell and fire is real. And so is hell. So as we go to Luke 17, verse 26, the Bible says, just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People will be eating, drinking, marrying, and being given into marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling and planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. Let's pray as we go into this morning's topic. What in hell is really going on? Father, bless this word in Jesus' name. I thank you for those here today, listening online or here in this church right now, that will be spared from hell because of your son Jesus. Father, this must be preached, but it cannot be preached without you, Holy Spirit. So I pray that you would help me to preach it. Help us to learn and to take this serious. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. You guys ready for this word? As we get into this word this morning, Jesus is describing, Jesus is describing the end times. He calls it the last days. The day of his return. He's talking about the day that everyone is destroyed. He's talking about the day of judgment. <clears throat> and in order to describe what judgment is going to be like, Jesus does something interesting. Jesus, he goes back all the way to Genesis. Now, the word Genesis literally means the beginning. So Jesus does something very profound. In order to describe the end, he takes him back to the beginning. And Jesus is literally preaching a sermon titled, The Beginning of the End. And he takes them back to Noah. And he takes them back to a time where Lot was in Sodom and Gomorrah. And Jesus says people were busy. People were working, working hard, building, planning. They were celebrating, they were eating, they were drinking, they were having weddings and planning weddings, and everyone was living their life, pursuing their pleasure. But see, the Bible says in Genesis 6-5, in reference to Noah, that the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on earth had become, and that every inclination of their thoughts, of their heart, was only evil all the time. See, God says during the times of Noah, everyone was busy and working and planning and living their lives, but he noticed that people began to veer off from God. People began to just think about themselves and sin and wickedness and evil. And God saw how evil they became. And God brought judgment upon these people to destroy them all because of their wickedness. Because in the hearts of every person, no one was inclined to even center their lives on the Lord. And then God takes them over to the book of Genesis, but he takes them over to a man named Lot in the book of 
and he's living in Sodom and Gomorrah. And everyone say, well, what happened with Sodom and Gomorrah? Why was Sodom and Gomorrah so evil? And look at what Ezekiel 16, 49 says. The Bible says that now it was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant. Notice that the people were arrogant, overfed, unconcerned. They did not help the poor and the needy. Look at Judges 1.7 in the book of Jude 1.7. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding times, they gave up to sexual immorality and perversion. They served as an example. Notice what God says. They served as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. Notice what God is saying here. What God is saying here is that Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed because of wickedness and sexual immorality. Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed because the people were filled with pride. The people were filled with arrogance. And in the times of Noah, everyone was just busy and living their lives and just planning their futures and nothing in their lives was centered on God. Now we put those two together. Notice the pattern here. As every generation passes by and passes by, the generations got more and more evil, more and more wicked. From the time of Adam and Eve to the point of Noah, every generation, there were 16 generations between Adam and Noah, and each generation that came by was more and more and more wicked than the last. And from the time of Noah to the time of Lot, over 10 generations had passed, and we got worse and worse and worse. And as generations continued to pass, immorality and evil and sin grew worse and worse and worse to a point that God said, I have had enough. And Jesus makes a reference to both Noah's time and Sodom and Gomorrah to describe the end times that we're living in today. Folks, get serious about this. This is the most wicked and perverted generation we have ever had living. And generations have gone by that think they're the worst. But I believe with all my heart, we are in the last days. And when you look at life and you look at the world we live in, it is an exact copy of the times of Noah and the times of Sodom. Every person's heart and inclination has no centeredness on God anymore. Churches are dying. Christianity is failing. People want nothing to do with it. And everyone's mind is all about themselves. It's all about planning. It's all about building. It's all about money. It's all about pleasure. Look at Sodom. The Bible is clear that Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed because of sexual sin, homosexuality, and pride. And today, we are so arrogant and prideful, we've made a month out of it. We are putting our heads up to God saying, I'm going to live how I want to live, love who I want to love, do what I want to do, and God can do nothing about it. And we are trying to go further and further away from God. But the same God that said, I've had enough of this, is the same God today that will have enough of us someday soon. But notice what the Bible says during the times of Noah. 2 Peter 2.5 If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the floods on the ungodly people, but protected Noah, a what? A preacher of righteousness. Noah was just, he was not just a boat builder, but God gave him 120 years to build that ark. And Noah was not the only one that had the opportunity to be saved and spared. The Bible is clear. As Noah built the ark, 
for 120 years, that man of God would preach righteousness. The word righteousness is to get right with God. So for 120 years, Noah preached and preached and preached to the people to get right with God because judgment was coming. But for 120 years, at the very end, only Noah and his family were spared. Which means for 120 years, Noah preached and no one listened. People laughed. People rejected him. And I can imagine every Sunday when Noah prepared his sermon to tell the people and no one got saved, he was discouraged and he was losing hope. But every Sunday, God said, Noah, keep preaching. Noah, keep preaching. Noah, keep preaching. And I am that Noah today. I am preaching to you, but it is your choice whether you're going to listen or not. And I feel like Noah. Preaching to empty ears. But the time came. And I'm sure they laughed because the Bible says when God was ready to judge Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot tried to save his son-in-law and said, get out now because God is bringing judgment. But the Bible says that Noah's Sodom, sorry, Lot's son-in-laws, they thought he was joking. They laughed. What a picture of today where so many people are taking God as a joke. 1 Corinthians 1.18, the Bible says that for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. We live in a world that says you are foolish to believe in Christ. You are foolish to believe that God came to earth incarnate as a man and died for our sins. You are foolish to live for Jesus. But there will come a time like Sodom and Gomorrah and Noah that when judgment comes, the people who called Christianity foolish will realize they were the foolish ones the entire time. And it will be too late. The fire fell down to Sodom and Gomorrah and it was too late. The floods rushed in to destroy the people and it was too late. And reality hit them. It's too late. And there will come a point in time that it will be too late for you to turn your life to Jesus. And all of us will agree, whether you're atheist, agnostic, a believer, or non-believer, all of us come to agreement when I say this, all of us will die. Amen? No one's going to say, not me, pastor. We are all going to die. Some of you already are walking that line. Hebrews 9.27 says this clear. Just as it is a man is destined to die once. Let me just pause there for a second because everyone's talking about destiny lately. You notice that? What's my destiny? What am I destined to do? What am I destined to be? Who am I destined to be with? I can't answer that, but I'll tell you one destiny. You're going to die. Just as, it, as a man is destined to die once. Notice what the Bible says. A man is destined to die once. And after that, to face what, church? Judgment. You will die one time. Once. And after, meaning God is saying there is an after. There is an afterlife. And after you die, you will face judgment. I don't know when you'll die. I don't know how you're going to die. But one thing I know about life 
not only will it come to an end, life's going to come to an end quickly. James 4.14 says this. It says, why do you not even know what will happen tomorrow? None of us here possess the power to know what's going to happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while. Then you vanish. Let's illustrate that. How many of you saw it? How many of you see it now? How quick was that? What, one more time. Saw it? Still there? How quick was it? That's your life. I don't care what you try to tuck in, cut off, fill up, implant, surgery, medicine, diet, health, how to live to be 101. You'll die at 102. We all, no matter how, some of you are going to die looking good. You're going to die looking amazing. But you're going to die. God says, I gave this person 50, 30, 80, 100. As quick as it appears, is as quick as it went. God says, that's your life. We're wasting our mitts on garbage. What cannot save? What doesn't matter? And God says, you're going to die once. And after this comes judgment. The fact that the Bible says you're going to die once, it throws out reincarnations. Those who believe they die and come back as a dove or a cockroach, depending how you live. I thought, if that were true, you're going to be a rat. Yes, I get it. But the Bible doesn't teach reincarnation. For those who believe we, we just die, that there's, there's no hell, but there is a heaven. Elimination is what it's called. You're Jehovah's Witness, this is what you believe. If you're a Seventh-day Adventist, this is what you believe. Good people go to heaven, but they're chosen. The rest just vanish. They just get eliminated. They die. There is no hell. This proves you wrong. The Bible says you face, you die, and you will face judgment. This disproves universalism. The fact that people think that all paths lead to heaven. As beautiful as that sounds, and as much as I wish that were right, the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible says that no one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus said. It rules out atheism because if you don't believe in God, believe me, when you die and face judgment, you will. And if you're one of these wackos that think they're going to die and have 70 virgins waiting for them, you're going to have something waiting for you, but it ain't ladies. Oh, it's going to be hot. <laughs> So all my Muslim friends here are listening online. You're in for a real hot eternity. But it won't be 70 beautiful women. This throws out purgatory. That somehow we die and then we're in a waiting room hoping that family members pay enough to pray our souls to heaven. Or that somehow you're in the waiting room and you're, you're being punished for a while, but then God says, okay, you've had enough. You can go to heaven now. It was a lie from the Pope in the 1600s. God says you die once. And after that, you face judgment. Here's another reality. Judgment. Revelations 20, verse 12. And I saw the dead, 
great and small. Powerful, rich people, poor people. Influential people, nobodies. Standing before the throne. The books were opened. And God is giving a, a scene here of a courtroom. That's why people say, we're going to throw the book at him. This is the reference to that. It's a courtroom scene, and you're going to stand before a judge. His name is God. And the books are open. Another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the book of life has every Christian in it, every believer of Jesus Christ, every person that truly repented and turned their lives to Jesus. Your name is written in the book of life. Give them praise for that, because through Jesus Christ, your name is there. It's not going to be like the old days when you got to a club and thought your name was on the list. Is my name there? Can you check? You're going to know when you stand before Christ. My name is in that book. Another book was opened, which was the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Because Jesus lived a sinless, perfect life. And to get to heaven, you have to be sinless and perfect. Anyone? This is why Jesus Christ came to die as a sacrifice on his on our behalf. So that when we face that courtroom of judgment, we won't even have to stand in judgment because God's going to look at us. He says he's going to see Christ in us and we are made perfect in his sight. But if you haven't received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then God's going to say, okay, we're going to base it on your works. And if there's one thing that you've done wrong, you're done. How many will stand with confidence, I got that? You're not going to find nothing, God. But the books were open. And as the books were opened, it's filled with every detail of your life on earth. Notice, as I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened, another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in these books. Your whole life's going to be in this book if you don't know Jesus. You say, well, Pastor, how many details? How, how specific? Is it really big things or kind of bad things? Matthew 12, 36, Jesus answers this clearly. In Matthew 12, 36, Jesus says, no, that's, that's Matthew 7. I'll go there later. I'll just reference it. But in Matthew 12, 36, Jesus said clearly that you will be judged for every idle, empty word you've ever spoken. Every, it's so detailed that even the smallest of words that you spoke without even thinking will be on that book. That's how detailed your life is going to be before God. And then you're going to have to give an account. And what if you fail? Well, you'll experience what the Bible calls the second death. Revelation 20, 14. The death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire, which is the second death. Think about that. Who goes to hell? The Bible is clear. When you are facing God in judgment and you die without Jesus Christ ever paying for your sins, you have to represent yourself. And when you're representing yourself, you have to be perfect, sinless, and blameless. And God's going to open up a book that has the records of your life. And if there is just one sin in that book, you're done for And you will be thrown into eternal fire in hell. 
Who goes to hell? Well, Revelations 20.15, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life. How clear is that, church? If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Revelations 21.8. This is who's in hell. The cowardly, those who did not stand up for God. The unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic, witchcraft. This is all these people that are into the occult, santeria, all these things. The idolatry, all the liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is what? The second death. And I know what you guys are saying. Well, Pastor, obviously, look at that list. Murderers, liars, sexually immoral. Obviously, these are people that deserve hell. But I'm not like that, am I? Well, then look at what Matthew 7, 21, 23 says. This is another group of people that the Bible says is going to be in hell. Jesus said it plainly. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me, on what? That day. That day of judgment. Lord! Lord! Have we not prophesied? That word prophesied literally means to literally preach the word of God. Well, do you think pastors are going to hell? I know a few that are. Just because you stand in a pulpit like me and preach the word of God doesn't mean you're saved. And the Bible is clear. Didn't we prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons? And we did many wonders in your name. Notice what they're saying, though. They're not saying, but Lord, didn't we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of our sins? The only thing they're doing is boasting about what they did, but the Bible is clear, it is not by works that you are saved. So many people are going to stand in judgment facing God telling them what they did. I went to church on Sundays. I was a part of Forward. I even joined the ministry, and I tithe, and I serve, and I was a kind of goodish person. Don't you know me, Lord? You know me, right, Lord? And I will declare it to them. I never knew you. Depart from me. Here's, here's a clue. He says, depart from me. You who what? Practice lawlessness. Here's the contradiction. As these people were bragging about how religious they were, how good they were as Christians, they were living in sin and practicing sin. And you cannot call yourself a genuine Christian and live a lifestyle of habitual, practicing, immoral sin. That should be a clue, people. You are not saved. Don't tell me you're saved, but you're living with someone you're not married to. Don't tell me you're saved, but you're attracted to the same sex and proud of it. Don't tell me you're saved and you live to live for the lust of the flesh. When you are saved, you sin. But when you sin, there's something about it that you said, I can't live like this. I can't practice this. And you repent and get out of it. But we have a culture that God says will have a form of godliness and deny its power thereof. That they will have a form of Christianity. Go to church. Wear a Christian t-shirt, put on and snap on the bumper sticker, go to conferences, read some scriptures, put it on your Facebook. That means nothing in the kingdom of God. Are you living in habitual sin with no, absolutely no remorse or conviction? You know why that is? Because the Holy Spirit is the one that brings conviction. But if you don't have the Holy Spirit of God that is given to you upon salvation, there is no way you can be convicted for sin. That's why it's so easy for you to practice it. So in hell, 
there are people that are obviously going there. But then there are those that find they never go. In fact, a, a recent survey that I read says that 75% of Americans believe in hell. And only 4% of those 75 actually said they know they were going there. So 71% of Americans believe in hell and believe they're not going there. A lot of people think they're not going Hell is filled with people who obviously were sinful, immoral, without Christ. Hell will be filled with people who thought they had Christ, but they can still get away with their immoral sins. And hell will be filled with people. Now listen to me. Hell is not filled with people that rejected, that God rejected. That's a, that's a misconception. That hell is filled with people God said, get away from me. Get. No, listen. Hell is not filled with people God rejected. Hell is filled with people that rejected God. Hell is filled with people that rejected God. In fact, you choose. God does not send people to hell. People choose to go there. It's a choice. It's a choice. And we all have choices we make. And some have short-term consequences. Some have a lifetime of consequences, but there's only one that has an eternal consequence, and that is rejecting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the only way to get to hell. Don't take hell lightly. So many people take hell lightly. It's an add-on word in our vocabulary. You ever notice that? Hey, what the hell are you doing there? Hey, that girl is hot as hell. Hell yeah, hell no. We're living on hell on earth. This is a living hell. My job's a living hell. What a hell of a game. What a hell of a movie. Hell of a sermon, pastor. You even tell people go to hell when you're mad. One of the greatest hits in the 70s was Highway to Hell. We treat it so loosely in the way we talk about it. But you don't take the Lord's name in vain and you don't take hell in vain. Hell is nothing to take lightly because Jesus did it. Jesus warned and preached on hell 70 times. That's more than any other topic he preached about. Warning the people about hell. Matthew 5.21, out of Jesus' own mouth. In Matthew 5.29, Jesus said, it is, look, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. He has, he's not talking literal, but he's as an extreme example. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown where? In hell. That's Jesus. And what's crazy about this is that was Jesus, one of Jesus' first sermons ever preached. And as a pastor, I'll tell you, if you're preaching your first sermon, don't talk like that. You'll scare your audience away. But Jesus only had three years. He said, I'm not going to waste my three years to warn people on fluff. I'm not just going to encourage them and tell them how no, they got so much potential. You're amazing. God loves you. Live your life. No, I said, Jesus, I'm not wasting my time on that. I'm going to preach the truth, and the truth is hell is real. Don't go there. Seventy times. And when Jesus describes hell, Matthew 25, 31 through 34, 
Jesus described it this way. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on the throne. That's judgment. He's going to sit on the throne in His heavenly glory. All nations will be gathered. Can you imagine that? Every person that's ever existed will be gathered before Him. And He will separate the people one from another. As a shepherd separates the sheep and the goats. Now let me pause there for a second. Jesus makes a shepherd reference because I saw this for myself in Israel. There was a whole field in Bethlehem with sheep and goats mixed together. But the phenomenal thing was when the shepherd came and it was the, the sun was setting and it was time to go home and the day was over, that shepherd just shouted out to his sheep and all his sheep came out of the group and into his pen. And all the goats were like, what? They didn't even listen. And they were separated. Folks, Jesus is going to call your name when your day is up. My question is this. He says, I'll gather all the nations. I will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on the right and the goats on the left. And the king will say to those on the right, come, you who are blessed by my father. No, this is not about Republicans. God said it clearly. The king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance the kingdom prepared for you since creation. And Jesus referenced it to an inheritance. Why? Because an inheritance was a gift left for a child after one dies. And Jesus Christ died to give you the gift of eternal life. That's why the Bible says clearly in Ephesians 2.8. It is by grace that you have been saved. Through faith. Not of yourselves. It is a what? Gift of God. And like any gift, it's something you receive, not anything you earn. Jesus was very clear. That he will separate, look at verse 41 and 46 of Matthew 25. Then he will say to those on the left, depart from me. You who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. You see, God is saying clearly, when your day comes, I will separate my children from those I don't even know. And they will be thrown into an eternal fire. See, the first reality of hell you have to realize is that the fire is real. The pain is real. It's not a metaphor. It's not an allegory. It's not an imagination. It's not regret. People all know that the fire of hell represents your regret. Listen to me. God made it clear through Jesus. The fire of hell is real. Matthew 13, 41 through 42, Jesus said this clearly. The Son of Man will send out His angels. They will weed out the kingdom, everything that causes sin, and all who do evil. You realize, church, that God's going to come. Look at verse 42, that Jesus is going to come and just weed out everyone. They will be thrown into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the reasons that Jesus made a reference to gnashing of teeth it's because there are three reasons you gnash your teeth. Number one, have you ever hit yourself with a hammer? 
and you just grab your teeth and just cringe. Why? Because you are in physical pain and agony. Jesus literally said that in hell the fire is real. It's so real you will gnash your teeth in pain. In physical pain. Jesus described it best this way in Luke 16, 22-29. When Jesus was talking about hell, He gave us clues about what hell would be like. He said the time came when the beggar died. Remember, you're going to die. The time came and he died. And the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. Here's a common thing. One person was poor. One person was rich. And yet they both died because death is your destiny. But the rich man died and went to hell. In hell. Where he was what, church? Tormented. He looked up and saw Abraham far away on Lazarus' side. So he called out to him, Father, Abraham, have pity on me. Have pity on me. And send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. Because I am in what? Agony in this fire. He did not say I'm in agony emotionally. I'm in agony metaphorically speaking. I'm in agony in this physical fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you receive good things. Well, Lazarus received bad things. But now he has comforted you. And you are in agony. And besides all this between us, you and I have a great chasm. There's a great chasm that has been fixed. So that those who want to go from here cannot. Nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered. I beg you, I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house. For I have five brothers. What if there's someone in hell thinking about you right now? I have five brothers. Let him warn them. So they will not also come to this place of what? And Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Listen, listen to them. Jesus was clear that hell is a place of torment, of a physical fire. The fire is real. The fire is not a joke. Notice that the rich man begged for mercy and never got it. Hell will be a place you will beg for mercy and never receive a drop of it. That's all he wanted. A a little drop of mercy. A little bit of water. Just a droplet of mercy. And God said, no! And then God said, remember your lifetime because hell is a place you will remember your life. It is a place that you are fully conscious and have memory. Can you imagine remembering your lifetime in hell and what you wasted it on? Could you remember wasting your life on what does not save you? You will remember your lifetime, what you lived for. You will remember everything that you said, why you cannot go to church, why you can't serve God, why Jesus cannot be your Lord. You will remember your lifetime. You'll remember this day. And Jesus says, and there's a great chasm. Let me show you a picture of a chasm. It's two 
Cliffs that are separate from each other. And you stand on one end, and you can see the other side, but you can't cross because there's a divide. And Jesus used this illustration to describe hell because, church, I believe that Jesus is telling us that while you're in hell, somehow you can still look up and see heaven. I can't explain that to you, but the rich man was able to look up and see Lazarus. And I believe one of the most tormenting things about hell, besides the physical torment, is the emotional torment that you can see heaven and never reach it. And you'll stand in this chasm wanting to go to the other side. Have mercy on me, Lord. Let's let me go. And God will say, no. Well, can you warn my family of hell? Can you warn them? And God said something interesting. He said, they have Moses and the prophet. What did he mean by that? Moses represents the law. The word of God. And prophets represent those who spoke the word of God. You know what God literally, Jesus literally said? The way that God warns people of hell is through his word and those who preach. And all he says was, let them listen. My job as a pastor is to warn you of hell. But your responsibility is to listen. And when I die, and my name is in that book of life, I will not care any longer whether you listen to me or not. And I will stand with Christ in heaven, guilt-free, knowing I did my calling. Church is not a place just to feel good and be positive. I cringe at pastors that don't preach hell anymore. And I know that churches that preach on hell, they're not going to grow. They're not going to have global ministries. But I'll tell you what, I'd rather have a small church of saved people than a large church with lost ones that think they're saved. <laughs> hell is forever. You think this sermon's long? You don't know what forever is until you're in hell. It's everlasting, Jesus said. It continues forever. You say, well, why is, why is hell eternal when our sins were committed only while on earth? That doesn't seem fair. Let me explain something to you about hell. Hell is not a place where people are there repenting right now. Hell is not a place where people are saying, Jesus, forgive us. You're Lord. We love you, Lord. We're going to worship you here, Lord. That's not in hell. The Bible says that hell is a place of utter darkness. And we know that that may mean literal darkness, but we also know that that word darkness means vile, immorality, wickedness. Hell is filled with sin. It's filled with immorality. You think people are in hell saying, God, I'm sorry? No. The reason it's number two that you gnash your teeth is out of anger. You know when you're angry, you're like, and you get so mad. You know that people are in hell angry? Angry with God? How dare you send me here? Angry at God. And because hell is a place of sin and wickedness, the fire continues to burn forever. Because sin continues to live in hell. If you keep adding wood to a fire, that fire is going to burn forever. In fact, I read about a mountain in Australia that has the fire has been under that mountain for 5,000 years. It recently broke a Guinness World Record of 5,000 years because that mountain has an endless supply of coals. That's what hell is like. It's an endless supply to the fire. And it's why you burn forever and ever 
And the fact that Jesus says, I will separate you as you will burn there alone. People say, I want to go to hell because my friends are there. I want to go to hell because I, I know the party's there. Famous book in the 90s, I hope they serve beer in hell. Listen, hell is not a party. Hell is eternal. Damnation. Forever. When Jesus used the word hell, he used the word Gehenna in some translations. And Gehenna was just a valley east of Jerusalem used as a garbage dump. And in that dump is where a lot of criminals, dead bodies were just thrown and burned. That's where people's garbage was thrown. That's where feces was thrown. It was a horror place that the smell, the fear, everything, the ungodliness that was there. Gehenna was a place where many people in ancient times would sacrifice their children to ungodly pagan gods. It was a place of filth and immorality, and Jesus used Gehenna to describe it, that hell is a place of eternal immorality where the worm doesn't die. And Jesus referenced maggots because maggots continue to eat dead bodies. And the reason that the maggots never die is because people keep going into sin and hell. It's endless. It's forever. Hell is a place, Jesus said, was prepared for the devil and his demons. Matthew 25, 41. He will say to those on the left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire. Prepared for the devil and his angels. And people have misquoted this verse to say, listen, that's why we know no one's going to hell because it was made for the devil and his demons. And if that were true, Jesus would never have preached over 70 times about hell, warning people. It's common sense, right? If that were true, Jesus would not have to die for our sins. And hell was prepared for the devil and his demons. But when man, when the devil rebelled against God, hell was prepared. And when mankind rebelled against God in sin, we qualified. And that's why Jesus came to die for your sins. Hell was real. Hell was lonely. Hell is forever. Hell is for you and the devil if you don't know Jesus. And I'll close with this amazing fact about hell. But hell is a place you don't have to go to. In fact, according to Scripture, Hell is a place that even God doesn't want to go. Second Peter three nine. God said it clear. The Lord is slow in keeping his promise. He's not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowly. He's patient. You know, God is patiently waiting for to respond to He is patient when with you, not wanting anyone to perish. Jesus is not talking about the first death because we all die. Jesus is saying, I don't want anyone to perish because he's talking about the second death. And I want to see if you guys are paying attention, church. What's the second death? judgment in hell. Jesus says, I have no desire for anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. We give God praise for that. He looks at you. Imagine, he looks at you and says, I don't want you to go there. I love you so much that I sent my son Jesus to die to represent you on the day of judgment. 
But it's your choice. It's your choice. One of the most frightening verses in studying this I found in Genesis 7, 16. A male and a female of each kind entered just as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord closed the door behind them. It wasn't Noah that closed. It was God. And while all those people were living their lives and partying and not even thinking about God and living for sin, they didn't even realize it was their last day on earth. And when the time came, God closed the door. And it was too late. Folks, God said, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. And sometimes that verse encourages me and sometimes that verse frightens me. Because the same God that shut that door for all those people in the times of Noah is going to shut the door this time here if you don't have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And when you die without Jesus, you will go to But it was your choice. And everyone here today is going to make a choice, either for Jesus or not. You're either going to choose to say, yes, Lord. You are my Lord Jesus. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe it is not by works that I'm saved. I know it is grace. It is a gift that you want to inherit from me. And I receive your forgiveness. Some of you are going to thank God you made that choice years ago, amen? And if some of you say, nah, you know, not for me, maybe another time, you've already made a choice today, and that was to say no to Jesus. But hell is a choice. But the door will close. I could only imagine that that door was banging at the ark. Let me in. Let me in. Noah, I'm sorry. Noah, I thought you were kidding. Noah, I was foolish. Let me in. And Noah is saying, I can't because God shut the door. And the door will shut. And Noah's family stood there in that arm crying because just outside that door was their neighbor. Just outside that door was their family member. Just outside that door was people no one went to work with. It was people he loved. And Noah stood inside that ark, sad because they didn't make it, but not guilty because he knew, I told them about this for 120 years. And I pray that when God finally shuts the door and I look back at our little ark, Ford Fellowship, I see our family saying, we made it. But church, there is a world out there that doesn't know Jesus and you're doing nothing about it. But the door will shut. Revelations 3.20, Jesus says, here I am. Here I am, right now, I'm here. I stand at the door, and I what? I knock. Let me in. Come on, I want to save you. Hey, I love you. Hey, you're going to hell. Hey, and he's banging at your heart. Let me in. I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. He with him and he with me. That reference to eating together is a relationship. 
Jesus says, if I knock and you hear me and you open the door to me, I will come in and have a relationship with you that when you die and you're standing before judgment, God the Father is going to look at you and say, I see Jesus. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You are made perfect in my eyes. Come in to the right. And folks, here he is. Knocking. Knocking. What will you do? What will you do when he knocks? Every Sunday, he stands in this church, and at the end, the altar call, there's a knock. And we end. Once and for all, stop playing games with God. Stop being those that think they're saved and not. Think they're okay but are not. And I know you thought this was going to be a 15-minute sermon because I want to know if I have a boy or a girl. I don't care about that now. Because what I care about now is your eternity. Let's all stand to our feet with every head bowed and every eye closed. Hell is real. Hell is forever. And hell is a place you don't have to go. And I believe we're living in the end times. That God has sent people like Moses and the prophet to preach the word of God. And there's still a lot of us out here in this world that preach the word of God. And we preach this word because we love you. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you know without a doubt that if your day was today and you were face God in judgment, that you would be going to the right with the sheep forever and eternity in heaven through Jesus Christ because you repented of your sins and made your Jesus the Lord of your life, your Savior. Amen. Raise your hands and say, Pastor, I did that. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Every head down now. Because some of you, a lot of you here couldn't raise your hands. That's okay. You're being real with yourself. And you're saying, I don't know. Am I one of those that come to church and I practice sin? Am I one of those that come to church on Sunday, but when church is over, I'm living for sin. I'm in the world. Pastor, you can't even tell the difference Monday through Saturday. I'm just like everyone else that doesn't know Jesus. That's a problem. If you can practice sin and still go to church, that is a problem. Because that is a sign that the Holy Spirit is not living in you through salvation. But today is a day that you can say, Lord, I'm going to stop playing games. I'm going to stop having a form of godliness. And today, once and for all, I'm going to choose to make you, Jesus, the Lord and Savior of my life. Because it is not by works that you're saved, but by grace, a gift from God that you get while you receive it. And today you can receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It doesn't matter how bad you are, we're all bad. And he knocks. And this is for you. If this is you today, I want you to come to this altar. You say, once and for all, Pastor, you might have been coming to this church for years. I'm not going to be surprised. I know who some of you are. I've been praying for you for years. Would you come to this altar today and say, I want to be sure today that I'm saved. I want to be sure today. Give God some praise for Kevin here today. Come on. I want to be sure that I'm saved. God bless you. I want to be sure there's no judgment. I don't care if you've been, I don't care if you're in ministry here. I don't care if you're teaching here. You come to this altar. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed. And you say, Lord, today I surrender my life to you. Today I give you my soul and surrender. Today is the day of salvation, the Bible said. Come to me, all of you who are weary, and I will give you rest. You come today. You come as you are. Wicked, evil, gay, straight, immoral. You come as you are. And today, you say, Lord, 
forgive you. You pray this with your heart today. It's not the prayer that saves you, it's the Lord that saves you. But he knows your heart. Would you tell the Lord right now to forgive you of your sins? To say, Lord Jesus, forgive me once and for all. I believe you are the Son of God. That you died and rose again. That you lived a sinless, perfect life that I cannot. And today, I receive you, Lord, as my Lord and Savior. Save me, Jesus. And I thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, you are now my Lord and my Savior. And I will follow. Amen. Come on, give God some praise today. Give God some praise. Amen. And amen. Let's all pray one more time. Let's all pray together. As we pray one more time, I want to thank you for this service today. But can we pray for those that are outside the ark right now that aren't here? Your family members, your loved ones, your co-workers. Hell is real. What are you doing about it? Invite them to church. Invite them all month long because we're going to be preaching about eternity all month long. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, make us light in darkness. Forgive us for acting like the world. And Father, help us to reach the lost that are dying. But I thank you, Lord, that we have been given the privilege of knowing you as our Lord and Savior, but we also have the honor of going out into the world and preaching the gospel. Make us a vessel in our community to reach our loved ones. Because if you don't want us to perish, we should not want them to perish either. We thank you for this word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, give God some praise today. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. As we get ready to dismiss here today, I want to thank you all for it. You guys are still in the altar. That's awesome. Stay up here. Pray all you want. Come on, give it up for everyone here today. Give them a huge hug. If you can, just grab one of them and hug them and say, welcome to the family of God. Welcome to the family of God. I want to thank you all for being here today. It's beautiful. I love October. I love health series. How many of you were blessed by this message today? You're saying, Pastor, I was saved, but I still needed to hear that. I don't know why I'm saved, but I needed to hear that. Every time I study hell. It only makes me fall in love more and more with Jesus because we know him as our Lord and Savior. You guys can have a seat as we dismiss.